Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Innovative Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Stickle, back with my co-host, Stephanie Hurd. Hello. Another great guest for you here. We're up to episode seven already, which is hard to believe. Um, going strong here on the Innovative Leadership Podcast. Today joining us is Mike Spigler. He's the Vice President of Patient Services and Education for the American Kidney Fund. Mike, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Are you excited about this? Are you nervous? We have some different. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm definitely excited about it. You know, Good. I think I've I've done a lot of interviews, but podcasts have been few and far between. So I'm ready to I almost, dig in here. I almost feel like podcasts are, well, at least they should be the least daunting. Because mm-hmm. for one, it's not live radio and it's not video. At least ours isn't. So people can't see you. You can just chill out talk if there's any mistakes we can always cut it out you know so we've had some people come in very nervous some people excited but they've all been great so um good to hear good to hear you're excited you want to tell the audience a little bit real quick about what you do and what you're into sure so uh, as you mentioned i'm a vice president with the american kidney fund we are um, the nation's largest nonprofit serving the 37 million americans with kidney disease so uh, we've been around since 1971 I've actually worked two different tours of duty uh, at the American Kidney Fund in the early 2000s um, and now as well. Um, I've seen a, a whole lot there. Um, you know, I started at, at really the, the bottom level, the entry level of the organization when I started and um, worked my way up and uh, oversee, well, next year, if the budget goes through as planned, uh, be 37 employees that are under me. Um, and uh, the budget's probably just shy of about $300 million that falls under me too. So we've got a, a huge program, a lot of good work that we're doing, a lot of important work. Um, but my whole career really has been kind of that nonprofit work or nonprofit executive leadership. Gotcha. I wanted to talk with you about that just kind of at the start here um, about that nonprofit work. Because you spent, I mean, most of your professional career, right? That's working right. For, for nonprofits. Is there something in particular about a nonprofit organization that that's kind of drawn you in or or something you feel like you thrive in? Well, you know, it's a funny story to that, actually. When I was uh, first out of college, I got a job, um, had to do an internship as part of my my college career and get to get my degree. And I did it with the Anne Arundel County Department of Health, um, just doing like cancer prevention stuff and fall prevention for seniors, which is not something, you know, I think a lot of college kids envision that they're going to be doing when they're coming out of college. (laughs) Um, But uh, we were doing this event and it was a community wide event and we, you know, I was tasked, I was, you know, coming off of an internship, right? So I was doing all the grunt work, getting water, getting food, getting chips, getting pens and paper. And I said, well, gosh, this is going to cost a fortune to get all this water. I'm just going to call Walmart and say, you know, Hey, I think we need to get some water. This is a really important endeavor we're doing. Can we get it? And they said, sure. So I got like a pallet of water that we're going to donate. I go to my boss and I, I say, hey, I got this pallet of water. She said, oh, my God, call them back. We're a government <laughs> agency. We can't take that. Uh, <laughs> so I think that that whole ability of kind of telling the story of things and, um, you know, t- telling why we're doing what we're doing is important and getting that that buy in from the community and giving back and connecting with the mission has always been kind of, of what I've done. And that was really the first light bulb that went off is this is kind of what I want to do for the rest of my life. That's awesome. I love the value of storytelling and kind of getting people interested in things. I mean, so much of what I do here is is writing blogs um, for our website. And that starts with just getting somebody interested on, you know, that first paragraph, I got to draw them in, I got to hook them. Um, What do you feel like makes a compelling story, especially in regards to what you do? 
I think the first part is actually just listening. I mean, you know, I was thinking about that uh, for a couple other reasons uh, recently. It's just how important empathy is in the nonprofit space and uh, especially as a leader or someone that's making big decisions because you have to be able to connect with whoever you're talking to. If you're connecting to a donor, you have to understand exactly kind of what their needs are, what their wants are. You know, if it's a sponsor that has a, a product that they're trying to sell at the end of the day, right? You know, what are their motivations? What are their drivers? How do you connect with them? Um, and certainly, um, we can't tell our story uh, about what we do from a mission standpoint without understanding what, you know, the patients we're serving are going through, uh, connecting with them and having that empathy. And I think that really goes a, a long way more than anything else. Yeah, I think that's a good point because so often it's you hear this phrase of what's in it for me and it, it comes off as very selfish but in reality if you need someone to to invest their their time or their money or their thought into something there there kind of does need to be at least a little bit incentive they at least need to care right and so um i think that's important so much when you're talking about you know especially issues as important as this right yeah. you're talking about people's health yeah. um and we've talked about that on our show also just when you're dealing with an employee right because you know, your employees there, they're going to, at a very base level, going to provide you work and you are going to pay them. But it's really so much more than that. Empathy is something that can get so lost in translation when, mm -hmm. when you're going from leadership to workforce like that. Do you want to talk about being in your position and, yeah. you know, you have how many employees do you have under you now? Yeah. So uh, next year's budget go through, there'll be 37 under me. Um, so um, I think I'm at 33 right now. So it's a, it's a pretty large workforce, pretty much two divisions that I oversee. And, you know, I think there's a benefit, as I mentioned, like when I came into this job and so I've worked here twice and in the early two thousands, I was here and I came in at entry level as an associate. And, um, I was the one on the calls when people were calling in, asking questions and crying and occasionally yelling at you for, for, you know, all kinds of different reasons, as I'm sure anyone that's ever had a phone job has had. <laughs> And, um, you know, just I, I've seen pretty much every level of it. And that has helped me to connect, to understand kind of what they're going through. And, and I've seen some uh, of my supervisors who have maybe um, come in from other organizations, not seen that, maybe had different experiences at other places, um, not be able to uh, look at what's happening in a particular situation and understand the perspective of the person that they're supervising. So, you know, I, I think being an active listener, just asking the question to start with is the most important piece when you're trying to understand, you know, what, what your staff needs. You brought up two amazing points that are so applicable in nonprofits, but I think lessons that any good business should be adopting. And the one is really being able to tell a story with empathy. You know, I'm in sales and I just hate that salespeople get such a bad rap. Um, but the, the way that you just talked about fundraising, like that is how, that's how sales should be done. You know, you shouldn't be trying to sell something that somebody doesn't need. You should be able to be finding those people that you can truly help. If you have a good product, if you have a good service that is out there and telling a good story and being compassionate about solving a problem, like that's sales, that's fundraising, that's everything. And then the other piece of having that empathy, but also having that empathy because you've been in the trenches and you've done the work. I mean, we actually just talked about that in a company meeting today of, you know, when you're trying to lead, in our case, IT strategy, and you're asking maybe entry-level techs to do something, being able to have a little bit of empathy for what you're actually asking them to do and realizing, hmm, this might be a little bit more complicated. Uh, I remember when I would get tasked 
with something like this and just oh yeah and there's internal jargon right yep. there's internal acronyms that people don't know and you just kind of throw something out and you expect you've been in it for 10 years you know everyone else around you clearly knows what it is but that new person doesn't um and i think just taking the time to understand that um from the start everyone's going to make a mistake everyone's going to say the jargon every once in a while right but just taking the time to sit back and again understand their position super important oh absolutely yeah i felt that you know being here <laughs> it's crazy enough been here almost a year now and i do not have a tech background i have more of a journalism communications background I came in to do content, but that content's all about the tech and our solutions that we 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 offer. Um, and so everything I'm doing, I'm constantly learning. And luckily, I work with people who are happy to answer my questions and and help me out and just sit down and talk with me for 20, 30 minutes about some of the stuff because without it, I I would quite literally not be able to do my job like at all. And so that's that's really helpful, but that doesn't exist everywhere. Um, and I know, you know, obviously. <laughs> A lot of places, the way they operate, if they were going to hire for my job, they might just find somebody who has a little bit of both. But, you know, we talk so much about being the right fit, right person, right seat, and it might not last long term or might not work out. Mm -hmm. So to, to have a workplace that values education is so big. And I know that you're a huge champion of education. Do you want to talk about the just the I mean, not that it really needs it shouldn't need to be said, but if you want to talk a little bit about the value of education, just why even leaders should always be learning. I think one of the things that I would point to also just what I think our organization does along those same lines, we have a this program called a quality of work environment. We Everyone calls it QWE. So there's one of your first jargon hits. Um, <laughs> but it, we really work hard to try to um, find out what our staff wants to be able to grow. Um, I actually had uh, a staff member that worked for me um, who uh, was very young. She died unexpectedly but you know her one of the things that she um was big on at work was like the always the need to continue to to train and learn and grow um and when she passed away actually her her mom put together a fund that um in addition to all the other trainings we do at work if there's something that someone else wants to do to kind of build themselves as a as a career person we actually have that additional fund that we do too i'm very big on you know you have two options right you can grow a person and they leave or they don't grow and they stay. Yeah. And that's actually worse. Um, and Absolutely. so if you can get that person to grow and stay and, and move and, or even look, I'm a great example. I left and came back. Right. <laughs> so I, I think if you're, if you're giving that expectation setting, it's important, but yes, I mean, as far as that continual learning piece goes for leaders, I think one of the things that I do is I I love meeting new leaders just in person or observing them and trying to kind of glom on to some of the things that they're doing. One of the most important people I ever worked for um, had no nonprofit experience, had no leadership experience. He was a psychologist. Hmm. And watching the way that he interacted with people and kind of put that uh, – uh, psychology into practice in a business setting has really, really helped me in my career more than I think I ever know. Every once in a while, I'll come into a situation and I'll, I will channel him and, and get, get it fixed. And it, that's been great for me. Yeah. I think, and I don't know if Jason talked about this in a meeting once or on a podcast, but just kind of being aware of what people are, are feeling, or at least trying to key in on that and what they're thinking, because you have to understand people on a deeper level here, right? We talked about sales earlier and 
the reason sale, a lot of salespeople do kind of get that, that bad reputation is because a lot of them kind of are just out. They're going to sell everything and everything they can. And there's a percentage of that that would even trick people to do so, unfortunately. And because, because of that, you're just treating everyone the same. You're saying, here's my pitch. Here's this. Take it or leave it. And then you move on. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get to a deeper level trying to sell, and this is, doesn't even have to be selling anything. This is just interacting with people, selling yourself even for a job interview, kind of understanding, again, what they might want from you or what they might need, how you can kind of help ease any concerns they might have. Uh, there's just a deeper level than to just putting someone in a box or a certain demographic. I mean, each person is such an individual. So to, yeah, use those psychology things. Some of you might hear that and go, well, that's a little creepy to kind of use psychology <laughs> against someone. But if you're using it ethically to try to understand someone, then there's really, I, I personally don't see an issue right. with you. You're, you're trying to be better for that person. Right. And but believe me, not, mine was never science-based, right? It was just watching those people interactions yeah. and, and, and seeing, you know, um, when you needed to, to stop a meeting and say, and say, okay, well, let's talk about that. Or, yeah. you know, when you're dealing with someone that's frankly being very difficult or rude or threatening to your staff, right? And you need to stop and kind of draw that line of, of humane treatment to other people. And um, those are the kinds of things uh, that I took away from those experiences with him. Well, and it goes back to, I mean, the most complicated part of any problem is the people part. Like you can... There is a, a mechanical, methodical, whatever solution to just about anything except for the people. So if you can kind of crack that code of how to get people to cohesively work together, which is psychology, like Absolutely. that's it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and we just, we as an organization, we did, um, I'm sure we've probably even had other uh, leaders on this podcast talk about it, but, but the DISC profile training mm-hmm. piece has been so great. And I remember I had, I had two employees, um, one who still works for me who I think maybe came off as maybe brash is maybe the, the word I would think about. They had like that dominance, right? They had the D from the disc. And um, we did this, uh, th- this, this group project where we all broke into groups based on the profile, right? And I only, at the time, only I had two of those Ds, right? And together, but we paired them up. And uh, I think the task was, you know, you're going to a deserted island. You can only pack like five things, right? Everyone thinks has done this task, right? And, and what are you going to bring? And everyone reported out and they went last. And they were like, it, to everyone else, look at they're yelling at each other, right? Just like, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. I was like, I might have to go get HR. What is happening <laughs> oh here? My gosh. And then I said to them, and they're like, no, no, we're fine. This is how we talk. What's wrong with you people, right? <laughs> right? So you just have to connect and understand also their communication preferences. Preferences is a huge part of it too. Absolutely. I am. I love the DISC profile. I've done a lot of the DISC training. In fact, I did one for the sales team. Um, somewhat recently. And the biggest takeaway that I took away from from all the disc work that I've done is like the the opposite like diagonals on the disc square is the like oil and water component. And I see that in myself all the time. If I am in a meeting and I feel my blood start to boil and I'm just getting really frustrated with somebody, usually when I sit and think about it, they are a diagonal pair for me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely people who uh, I'll say are more passionate than others, mm-hmm. uh, and it comes out in certain ways. Obviously, kind of you got to stay on that line, though. You can't because so, some people they might have a tendency to cross that line and yeah. blow up at somebody who you know, and they might not have meant anything by it, 
but it's still a behavior that it's like we we have to tone this down a yeah. little bit here and i think and for yourself too right i mean if if you're in one of those quadrants which are a little more immovable yeah yep you're probably not going to move if you're yep. if you have that ability at all to kind of meet someone and and flex yourself a little bit i think that's really important to do i mean as a great example my, my ceo is, is diagonally for me, as you were just saying, right? <laughs> so, you know, I've got to be very thoughtful. And and, and uh, as I have this conversation, we have a great relationship. But, um, you know, it's it's that that's a challenge probably for both of us. I'm sure she yep. did the same thing for me. She just has to think about how she does things differently with me too. So, yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's, that's one of those things. Also, it's a two way street, right? It's like, I can meet you so far. If, if you can just meet me almost halfway here and mm-hmm. we can make this work. And over time you do learn more about someone and kind of understand the way they're going to think. And you can almost finish their sentences for them after so long. Yeah. And um, when you understand that stuff too, you start to realize that even, even though somebody might not might get under your skin, the way that they do things, you s- do start to recognize what they bring to a team and how the, the best teams really do have all four sectors of the, of the quadrant. Yeah. Right. I think it's it's okay to butt heads and have different opinions because I think in a team that's that's great mm-hmm. that people are bringing different things uh, is just keep it respectful. That's the number one thing there. Be open to the other person's ideas, even if you're in your brain, you're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Just be, be just listen to it. And maybe we can talk it out and have a compromise. I think it's with anything, right? It's, it's the same with like relationships. I mean, uh, you know, from uh, the, the money spends part of even my relationship with my wife. I mean, she, she's definitely the break and I'm definitely the gas. <laughs> and both of those things are needed in a relationship. They're needed in yep. a car. They're needed in the workplace. Yes. And I think you just have to stop and say, okay, this is actually a good thing that she's making me think about this in a different way uh, and, and looking at it because otherwise I'm just gas and I'm going to fly off the mountain. So um, <laughs> totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important also to kind of when you when you think about that that tolerance for so much i guess vitriol if, if we want to take it to the next level here um especially if it's between let's say a customer and an employee right there there can be a customer who might not be the most agreeable person they might just be in a bad mood a lot of the time it's like okay we can we can deal with that some people are just a little more grouchy than others that's them they live their life as long as, as long as they're happy we're we're cool but i think when that when it does reach that level of okay, you're treating someone poorly. We have to have a conversation here of whether we can keep you around because at the end of the day, you, you really, sh- you should be putting your employees first, right? Mm-hmm. I know you hear the customer is always right and you should serve the customer to your, the best of your ability all the time. But when it, when disrespect comes into it and when it becomes, it, it does cross that line, then I think that's important to come in and say, okay, Money can't just be everything. As right. important as it is, the bottom line is is huge. It's right. The, it's it's the way we operate in a lot of phases here. But um, do you want to talk a little bit about maybe when that line gets crossed and kind of how to intervene? Whether it's and it it, it could just be among employees. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a that's a good question. I, you know, I think part of it is. You know, yeah. Again, we go back to kind of what we said earlier. You have to really understand your employees, I think, a little bit and um, know where they're coming from. The way I go about looking at situations where there's conflict at work is, or or someone's underperforming, as an example. You know, if they're underperforming and they're really not doing harm to others, but they're not meeting a metric, I think at that point you come in and you give them training. Where I start to draw the line rather quickly is when that person is doing something that where their work is falling behind or or disrespect for something is is affecting other teammates around them. Mm. And you know the 
uh, you know, certainly younger, when I was younger in my career, I was definitely conflict averse. Um, certainly can't be right. As you, you go up the chain, you just have to be able to face those things. But it's always hard to give someone bad news. It's especially hard to, if you ever have to let someone go. But the way I've, I've find it come justified and, and my advice to others when they're in that situation is you have to kind of look at the greater good. I mean, yes, that person is where we may have to part ways or find some other kind of way to deal with the situation. But if you've got four or five other staff or 30 staff, right, that are doing things the right way and trying to get things done and move things forward – and that person's affecting that. The greater good is really your your, your responsibility as a leader are, is to not only your company, but those other four, five, 30 people. Yeah. And I think there's only so far you can, and like I mentioned earlier, it's a two-way street, right? When you have kind of some conflict there where it's, you know, hey, maybe we need some training or we just need to have a sit down. We just need to talk through some of this stuff, mm-hmm. um, some of the goals we might've set. And that's that's as far as you can really go. You can't do their job for them. They have to want it to, <laughs> to yeah. at least put that effort in, right? And and meet you there. And if it doesn't happen, then it's that's when you really have to have those hard conversations. So yeah. and you hope it never gets to that. And you know, part of that starts at the beginning where you try your best to hire the best people, right? And you try to build the the super team and everybody's perfect. Um, but even no matter how hard you try, I mean, it, it's hard to completely perfect that and have everyone be perfect forever. Uh, people go through things in their own life, right? I mean, someone who was great year one, year two, if there's something going on there and um, they're not able to do their job the same way, you know, part of that is, hey, let me hear you out and understand why this might be going on. And then the next part of it is, you know, I, I can help you so much. Maybe, maybe it's not going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a situation where, you know, you've, you've met somebody there and you've had to have that hard conversation? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, more than I'd want it to be, right? But a- absolutely. I think w- when you've been in the position I've been in, I guess, as long as I have, it, that's impossible to not face those things. You know, it, it's, it's honesty is a huge part of that when you're having that, um, that conversation, making sure you have all the facts before you go in there. The, the nature of my job has got four or five, six other uh, departments, right, that are, that are crossing over with me. You know, we don't have sales per se in nonprofits, but we do have, you know, fundraising and development, which is basically our version of sales. Yep. And, um, you know, I think in most nonprofits, I, I, this is not me saying this, this is actually my chief development officer that said this to me. And she said, it, it's very rare, the good relationship that I have as the program guy and, and her as the fundraiser getting along so well. And, and the, by the way, the way that we have, I think we were meeting with a sponsor once and they coined our relationship at a nonprofit, whereas... Uh, uh, she is the faucet and I'm the drain. I mean, that's kind of the way, right? So she raises the yep. money and I have the fun job at the nonprofit of spending it, which yep. is great. Um, now I've completely lost my train of thought of what I was saying there. But um, but I think it's, it's really, um, you, you've got to, if someone comes to you and says, well, this thing isn't going right and I think this person is doing X, Y, Z, I always stop and say, okay, if what you are telling me is is accurate, then clearly that's a problem. The other option would be like, I can't believe that's happening. I'm going to go and, and deal with that. And then you hear the other side of the story. I can't believe that they said mm-hmm. that. You know, you, I think you have to be honest. You have to come from these conflict resolutions, from, from honesty and transparency. You can't get yourself in trouble if you're truthful right from the start. And that's, I try to live in truth as much as I can, especially with my employees. 
Yeah. Absolutely. And there's there's so much that can be gained from just being honest about this is what I am accountable for as a leader. And in order for me to achieve that, here is what I need from your role. And how how can you help me not be like, what would you do if you were in my situation? Or mm-hmm. how can you help me not be in this really uncomfortable situation? And just sometimes trying to put the ball back in their court a little bit to see, hey, how can we meet in the middle here? How can we how can we get to a good place for everybody? Yeah. And I love what you said about drawing the line where it's really affecting other people because you see that so much in organizations where you just maybe somebody's underperforming a little bit, but they, you know, they haven't done anything super egregious and and they just float along. But that, you know, that's like a cancer on your team and it just kills team morale. Um, and you start to see good people that were once, you know, overperformers, you know, just starting to meet the bare minimum or it changes the culture where, you know, suddenly not everybody's an A player and then your A players start to wonder, why am I working so hard when, right. when I have these other people around me? And in other parts of the organization and sometimes even the leader can go to that A player and be like, well, I know, I know this B player is not going to get it done. So let me give you <laughs> add more to your plate. Right. Right. Because right. I know you'll get it done. And that's not fair to anybody. Yep. Yep. We've been talking a lot lately in our content about IT accountability, but really, I mean, broadly in the accountability conversation, it starts at the top. If you have a leader who is not honest or is not putting in the work, why, what right do they have to get mad at anybody who is below them on the organizational chart for not meeting their requirements and their standards or being honest? Because if the person at the top there, that's who they're all looking to. And if that's not there, then it's, that's that's what's going to funnel down. Um, and so we talk so much about that where, you know, being an IT company, if, if we could have the best help desk and our field techs could be the nicest, greatest, fastest service. But at the end of the day, if, if we don't have our people here and we don't have that leadership here, then we're just going to fall right in with every single other IT company that exists. There's nothing that we can have to set us, ourselves apart. It's it's the people that really drive the thing, and that's 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 the same for wherever you go. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, you bring up a great point too. Like, I think any good leader needs to look at somebody that's underperforming and start with, have how have I contributed to this, and what can I do to fix maybe my part in this first, at before you go and, yeah. and start to talk oh, to the one hundred percent. In yeah. fact, I was just talking. I was just having a conversation with another member of our executive team about something in my area. And they said, well, well, you know, well, whose job was to do that? And I said, well, at the end of the day, it's mine, mm-hmm. right? Because I have to empower, yeah. no matter how many layers it's down, I have to empower the next to the next to the next, right? So, you know, obviously there's some things that people just have, you know, ill will or malintent, right? You have no control over at some level, but it's at the end of the day, you know, the buck stops with you. I, I certainly believe in that kind of lead from the front mentality. I mean, when we did events and we were out and we, we used to, before the pandemic, we would go out into communities and do, you know, screening events and for, for kidney disease, high blood pressure and diabetes. And, um, you know, I was there setting up the tents and sweating and moving water with everyone else. You have to kind of lead by example. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the, the, the sickest, uh, part of that the, the, or the, the highest level of that. I remember once we were at a, doing an event in Houston and it was like enormous lightning storm and we had these big, you know, huge aluminum pole, like flags, right. With our, our logo on it. And this thing is going to fly out and it's going to hit someone in the park and like impale them. So I was like, I have to get it. 
So I went and ran through this park and lightning crashing all around me with this giant metal pole. Oh my gosh. Looking back was really not bright. <laughs> it sounds like a scene out of a war but, movie. But I did right. But I didn't want anyone else. I didn't want that to fall on anyone else. I mean, right. that's that that was a real brutal example of that. But that yeah. that's the level that I think you have to to be willing to go to in an office environment as well. And and for even the most selfish reason selfish reasons, you earn so much with with your your co-workers and your employees if you do something like that because <laughs> i've i have friends who've worked or, or do work in situations where there's this weird structure of you know you have maybe the entry-level people putting in whatever their job description is usually like probably bare minimum because it's not a great workplace environment the kind of middle management people um putting in all of the work possible and then the one or two at the top who are less leaders and more of like a, what, f- a figurehead, a face. What, yeah. What I consider uh, a curse word on this podcast is a boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And bosses, boss for me is a word. It's like I'll I'll throw it out in conversation. Like, yeah, my boss said yeah. this, blah blah. But when we're really talking about it in detail and assigning definitions to yeah. these type of things, you do not want to be a boss. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I have an executive assistant. So if, if I want to connect <laughs> with someone and I want to schedule something, I always say my colleague will help set up this this invite because yeah. I feel I feel gross even having an executive assistant, you know. So um but it's I mean and and the work they do is so valuable. Absolutely. Right? Oh my gosh, all the yeah. scheduling oh, and oh yeah. My calendar's insane. Emails. If you want to get anything done in the workplace, befriend the executive assistants. Absolutely. Like they know how to get crap done. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well I was I mean impressed when we were scheduling this podcast. I think you guys put out I said, well this is going to take 16 emails back and forth. And I could not believe when we got said so lucky. <laughs> the very first time we looked it hit. So uh yes, I and the calendar piece is the hardest part. Yep. And, oh, always. And those are the people who do such valuable work and in so many places just they don't feel valued. And it 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 just sucks to see and hear about because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like you're working your butt off here and there's no recognition. Like I'm not saying they need to give you a trophy at the end of every month like you you are just doing your job but you know to just feel like you're a cog in the machine to feel like your role is not important when it is um, just the occasional recognition i feel like is so important and it, it can be easy to get lost in that if you are in a leadership position because you, you are busy you have so many responsibilities to remember to take time out of your day to just say hey thanks for this and um you're doing a great job if assuming they are doing a great job but that's part of the job, right? Yeah. That's part of the gig is you are taking on a lot and you have a lot of people who are looking to you and, you know, and are not only looking to you for what to do or for some leadership, but looking to you for a maybe a pat on the back now and then when they feel like they're doing a great job. So that's really important. And yeah. I know I know plenty of people who would really appreciate that in their life. Yeah, and I don't think you have to have like every trait that we're talking about today as a leader, right? As long as you're complimenting yeah yourself with you know maybe your next level down with people that do that and one of my 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 i guess for better like a term of deputy she's just a senior director for me there there will never be someone's birthday or work anniversary or baby shower that will ever pass her by i stink at that stuff i don't even know what to do <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean every year like for my employees like for a holiday present i just panic buy amazon gift cards into the, the day because <laughs> i i just can't you know i'm not a good gift buyer right but i try to show it by, you know by what i do right to try to right. help and and having that person that kind of be there to do some of these other things the yeah. more the more kind of party centric kind of stuff it's is is important too 
my, I'm curious. Um, we've talked a lot about like leading employees, leading partnerships with other organizations. You know, in the nonprofit sector, boards play such a, mm-hmm. a huge role in what you do, um, and you've been involved in so many organizations. Can you talk a little bit about what is what is that role like? Kind of leading and guiding guiding a board from your leadership position and making sure that you're getting what you need out of a board and and just working in, in that environment. I think the most important part of that is actually getting the right board members in those seats before you even start. So I have seen, I actually think the board we have at, at the American Kidney Fund is actually the, the perfect kind of uh, Goldilocks right in the middle of what mm-hmm. these two extremes I'm about to talk about. But I won't say which one's which. <laughs> but I've been in a nonprofit before where the board was just absolutely, completely apathetic, right? And you're just not going to get anyone that's going to do any fundraising. You're not going to get anyone that's going to give you anything kind of substantive. And mm-hmm. that's great because they're not getting the operational weeds, I guess, but you're also not getting this other piece. I will tell you, I would rather have that than the other end of that, which is an over-involved bar- board, which is down to the operations and like mm-hmm. the nitty gritty uh, of things because they've, they've sometimes they can write a check, right? That will say, this is actually what you're going to do. Right. Yep. And that can be a challenge. So um, that is not my current job, but I've seen it <laughs> in previous jobs. So I think the number one thing, and and I give all the credit in the world to our CEO uh, of getting a board that is 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 engaged but helpful mm-hmm. um, in the right ways. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the big part. You know, I think that that the challenge is. It's 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 not only just kind of that that mindset of of what direction you want to go with a board, but also the right kinds of people there. Making sure you're filling out the different mm-hmm. areas, like you know, for us as a nonprofit, it's it's relatively easy to get you know patient representatives. That's who we serve. There's 37 million of them. Right. Um, it's relatively easy to get physicians. There's enough of those that we can reach to. But those people that may have a particular skill set you need, like a CPA or an IT professional or mm-hmm. Uh, a lawyer, right, that also cares enough about the condition that you're in uh, to actually be useful is 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 important part of it. I really like the point you made earlier where we're talking about these hypotheticals of someone in a, in a leadership position and how we're naming all these good things they could do, but nobody's going to do every single one of those things because nobody's perfect, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I do like that idea that nobody's perfect because you should always have something you could better yourself with or, or you could learn. Do you want to talk about maybe setting expectations with employees about, you know, here's where we're at and we're not re- maybe doing the best at this, or maybe I'm not doing the best at this and talk about that honesty a little bit? Sure. Well, the first thing I ever do when something goes wrong is I assume it was something that I've either misguided them or I did wrong. Now, I, I will try to work very quickly to prove that maybe that was not the case and find out what it was. <laughs> Uh, but that's my first assumption going into anything that we do. But I think that transparency is so important um, in every conversation you're having, having and, and offering that context for why a decision is being made is, is, is extremely important. And if something's not going well, just you, you can't just say, gosh, well, this isn't working. It needs to be fixed. How can we fix this together? What resources do you need? Are, are there other departments? Are there volunteers we can bring in? Do you need to outsource something to a vendor? Like, what can we do to make this happen? Because this is the goal. And if it's not going to happen and we realize we can't do it, then let's figure out what, how close we can get to it 
and let's work together in how we talk about the key customers. And customers for me might be a, a pharmaceutical sponsor, uh, might might be a volunteer, might be a board member, might be my CEO. Yeah, whatever those those customers are, let's figure out how we can get to a solution that they can live with too. I think just that transparency of like, look, this is this is what the driver is. You have to understand that. Let's all agree that that's the driver, and then how do we get there? Um, I wanted to ask you, as, as long as we're on the topic of things n- not going perfectly, <laughs> uh, if you do have one of those weeks where it just feels like there's a lot happening or maybe there's a lot going wrong, what is it that, that keeps you motivated or that maybe helps you relieve stress? At work, I'm very fortunate that we have an executive team that I think is very good at helping each other solve issues and serving as a sounding board, even if it's like, Oh, I can't believe this meeting just went that way or or I you wouldn't believe this email I got and just having someone to kind of, you know, spill the tea with yes. I think is <laughs> is important. And then it, you know, of course just at at home it's um yeah, I have kids at home, right? So they are my kids are um well, now I, now I guess I have to say I have a teenager, which uh, my daughter just turned to be a teenager, <laughs> so that's a problem all of its own. That's a whole other podcast that I'm doing in another studio later. Um <laughs> But, you know, having them there at home, especially in the summer to come up to and and be there and just immediately, it just, for me, it clicks. That's one of the things I love about having that we're, we're almost entirely um, remote work. We have mm-hmm. uh, a couple days, uh, although this, this, this week I was in three times a week, that is very rare, but just having them there to kind of reset of like, okay, look, that was at the end of the day, that, that was work. And, and this is life. And I think that reset piece, but I think you, you have to have kind of that, like, uh, some some partner or consigliere at work that you're you have to kind of talk through and 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 also listen to them when they're having those same kinds of issues, um, and, and also in the nonprofit, right? We don't do, I don't think any leaders right usually stop enough and say, "Gosh, this really went well." Let's let's look back and ret- uh, be retrospective on things. <laughs> Um, and it might be a little harder, right. When you're talking about like, gosh, you know what, I'm just going to look back as the sun sets and think about this million dollar <laughs> sale. That's great. I probably, it's awesome. But you know, for us in the nonprofit, we can actually be like, you know what, let's actually think about that, that kid who got to go to a camp with other kids with kidney disease. Let's think about this person who didn't know what caused their kidney disease. And now we got them a diagnosis and then now they're not going to lose their kidney. Right. I mean, those are the kinds of things you can stop it. So it's probably maybe a little easier in the nonprofit space to look back and say, oh, this is the real thing that we're working on here. I think, though, in the business space, like you can look at you can look at your employees achievements. You can look at, wow, you know, because we were able to grow the business, we were able to give this amazing person this opportunity to grow. Um, I certainly see in in the right kinds of companies anyway, I certainly see some parallels there. but you mentioned about you're mostly remote now, and I'm curious as a leader, what or how have you had to change your leadership style going to managing remote workers? Luckily for me, I actually think I don't know how how well suited I was for the before times. Okay. I feel like I actually, this new kind of environment that we're in, I really feel like I've actually started to thrive a little bit more. And I think that empathy piece was a huge part of this because when when people were going through it in the mm-hmm. thick of this, that was a huge part of things. And and some other leaders that I've seen that couldn't really connect with that and couldn't get it and was just like, just go back to work. What's the big deal? Those are the ones where you saw attrition. Those are the ones you saw mm-hmm. people leave from. 
One big piece, though, I will say is when you do get the staff together in person, you've really got to make it worthwhile, right? Yep. We actually tried to come back at first um, as a pilot. We were like, okay, where well, everyone's going to come in on. I think we said that was like, a, my team's going to be the Wednesday. Uh, we actually, during the pandemic, were some of our best years from a growth perspective we ever had. So what happened is we had this office space. Every department grew financially, people, and that we actually couldn't fit in the space anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, we were all going in on different days, and it was just, okay, we're, we're coming in, and we're still sitting on Zoom calls with everyone else in the other departments. So inst- we just added a commute to do the same thing we were doing at home, right? Yep. So you had to make it really um, purposeful for coming in and doing that. And we also switched that up. So it's not just about your team coming in. It's, it's those cross-functional project teams that are coming in. Uh, and making sure you've got a, a a reason to do it. So that that I think was a, a key learning for us is just that intentionality about why you're coming in. Yeah, the work the work from home kind of I guess if we want to call it a debate has been so interesting to me, and it's it's going to be going on for years and years because the pandemic really was a shifting point there where work from home was a thing, but. I mean, we just accelerated at times 100 in 2020 to the point where some people were asked to come back and they said, well, this job really isn't quite worth it to me to come back when I can go to this job and they will let me work from home. And there's been a huge shift there for people. I mean, I mm-hmm. I know people my, you know, my age who are just like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 25, 26 years old. I just started this place and now they want me to come back. I'm I'm not that deep into it. I'm just going to go get a different job at a place yeah. that'll let me because that's a, that's a big value to people. And I know some have had trouble the other way, you know, adjusting to it. Um, people who aren't quite as tech savvy, that's that's kind of been an issue. And there, there does need to be maybe some education there to bridge that gap. But, you know, so to the ones who are just strictly, you're going to come back here no matter what. Yeah. I think a lot of them have been burned by it. Yeah. Well, it was su- it was such a paradigm shift for us that, you know, when we looked at how, what, how things, I mean, there's really three phases, right? There was the before, there was the during, and then the mm-hmm. after. And we, I, you can probably look, there's probably a trail. I haven't done the data, but you can probably see a turnover rate that we had after all those phases because your company changed and your expectations changed. And I remember saying to, to someone in the office, I said, you know, we're probably just going to have to, we're, unfortunately, we have to live with a little bit of this reset after each of these phases but that's not a terrible thing because when the next group comes in, they're coming in with kind of that new – now, I'm hoping that another pandemic doesn't hit because they're not this whole strategy is going to be out the window. <laughs> but um, that when this kind of new group comes in with this kind of new now per- permanent, in quotes, uh, environment we're in, I think that's the, that's the team that's going to move forward. And, um, you know, we kept our core for the most part, mm-hmm. which was important. Um, you know, people that left was to your example, right? Like one of, one of my favorite em- employees – uh, went to live with his parents in upstate New York because he wanted to save save money, right? Yeah. So why why pay for a place in Montgomery County when he can just you know move <laughs> up there? And he's like, you know what? This is actually pretty nice up here, so I'm not coming back. There's, uh-huh. there's nothing we're ever going to do that's going to change right. that, yeah. right? So I I love what you said though about like if you're going to bring people in, you need to make it worth their while and like have a purpose there. Yes, coming into an office to be the only one there and you're still sitting on a Zoom call makes absolutely no sense. But if you can bring people in, because there is such a magic that can happen when people get together in person, 
but bring them in because we're doing something purposeful where that magic really matters. There's, there's a balance there. I went to a session recently where a leader was talking about like office redesigns post pandemic. And he was speaking about, think about building your office in a way, what are the things that somebody could never get at home? One, give them some of the freedoms and luxuries they enjoy about being at home. Have couches. If they want to move around, move into different spaces. How do you work from home? Sometimes you sit at your desk. You might go sit on the couch for a little bit. Give them that freedom. But then also give them the conference room technology that if they want to, if they need to see something on a giant screen that they wouldn't be able to use at home. Four monitors. Maybe their desk at home can't accommodate that and they're working on a project where they would come into the office to use tools that just wouldn't make sense to have set up at home. Um, So I just love that thinking of, there's magic in getting together, being purposeful about it. But also, you know, sometimes it's just okay with what you're working on or what you have to do. That yeah. remote work is fine too. And I think it goes back to that empathy and understanding your employees too. Because, you know, if you think about probably the employees who are maybe driving the farthest or relying on public transportation mm-hmm. are probably the lowest paid employees. Absolutely. So in addition to having to come into the office also... So you can tell which side of the fence I'm on on this work from home or in the office debate. <laughs> um, you know, you're, you, it is actually a, a functional pay raise for them immediately if they're not paying for gas, paying for metro fare and all those mm-hmm. things, parking and bringing their lunch in every day. I, I, you know, or, so, yeah. Yeah. Think about the safety aspect of it also. You know, plenty of us drive to and from work on a, or just anywhere on a regular basis. We get there fine. But there are lots of car crashes in yeah. the United States and you completely remove the risk of getting in a car crash if you are not driving to work five times a week. That's just a fact. You are safer and and going to probably be a little healthier maybe because you might not be like grabbing fast food real quick. You might yeah. just, you know, hey, cut up some fruits and vegetables and have some leftovers from last night at home. Really easy type of stuff. There's so many benefits to it. But again, there is that value of being in the office. I think if you have a good culture, it's worth it to come into the office now and then. I'm happy to come into the office a couple of times a week like I do. Uh, we just had our company meeting. Very happy to be here for that. Like we, we all like to talk to each other and have fun and hang mm-hmm. out. So there's there's value in that. But you have, to, you have to create that. You have to make sure that happens. It's not just going to, you know, you're not just going to hire everybody to be like, hey, come on in. It's, it's, <laughs> totally agree. It's not that easy. Um, totally I did have one quick story I, I did want to share also. Uh, I had a friend who um, got a job somewhere and was told it was in person. And they said, okay, I just, I need a job right now. I'll go in and went to the in-person job, had their own room for an office. And everyone in the office got on the Zoom call from their own offices. And the person thought, hmm, I don't see the point of me yeah. being here <laughs> because everything I do with other people is still on Zoom. And that's just an example of it's it's like you're you've caught up to the technology, but yeah. we're still not quite there yet. Well, actually this happened to me this week. We, we, there was a bunch <laughs> of us of a real key uh, so we have every a leadership team meeting. So that's every all the directors and hire come in, right? And we had that. I had an executive team meeting with all the vice presidents and, and our CEO. That was a three-hour meeting. It was a, it was a purple. I mean, it was a big strategy meeting, right? It made sense. An hour before that was leadership teams. I had four hours in our big conference room. We're not very creative. It's just sorry for anyone listening from my office. We're not really creative. It's just the colors. <laughs> so the red conference room. Um, <laughs> and we're all in there. And then so before that, we had an IA meeting. And I log in and I'm like, they're here. They're here. They're here. Everyone's here. Why are we doing this? I was like, you know what? I can't be in that conference room for five <laughs> hours straight. Let's just do it here. So, and I think everyone appreciated that too. So, 
you know, it's, it's even when those things happen, you just kind of, kind of make light of it and, and, and make it a fun place to work. So yeah. Common sense can pay off exactly all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, you just got to apply it. Yeah. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for doing this. We've very quickly, it, it always happens. We've quick, quickly gone like f- almost 50 minutes now, I think. So um, we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. This has been, this has been great. I always, my goal is always to have fun as much as I, you know, kind of maybe get some good questions or good thoughts out of the guests. So thank you for bringing that. Thank you. That enjoyment. Thanks, Steph, as always. Absolutely. This was fun. Yes. So be sure to join us next time. Episode eight already next time, which is, which is crazy to me. Uh, appreciate you for listening and uh, we'll talk to you soon.